We want to thank today's sponsor, FindMeCandidates.com. If you are having trouble finding great candidates for a position that you're trying to hire in your company, this is the solution, FindMeCandidates.com. You get to leverage their buying power to get your job listing top of mind in the best job boards available to find the best candidates for your job. So go check it out at FindMeCandidates.com. Welcome to Business Playmakers, the podcast that meets with innovators, trailblazers, and leaders to learn about their experience and what success really means. Hosted by entrepreneur and leadership coach, Kyle Gorman. The Business Playmakers podcast is brought to you by Employer Blueprint. Employer Blueprint is focused on developing great leaders and high-performing managers through one-on-one coaching and group workshops. To schedule coaching for you or your team, simply visit EmployerBlueprint.com. Thank you for checking out this week's episode of Business Playmakers. First, I want to remind you to subscribe to the show. You can do that through iTunes or wherever you get your favorite content. Also, I want to let you know what we're doing. So we are on week two of a short three-week series that is actually a recording from a live workshop that I provided. And this is about the four walls of management. These are management principles that that I believe in, that I coach on, um, and that uh, I have a lot of businesses that have implemented and with great success. So if you have not listened to last week, I highly encourage you to go back and check that out where we introduce the principles and then we also talk about the foundation of management. This week, we're going to talk about two of the four walls of management, which are the walls of definition and autonomy. And then next week, we're going to finish out the series. So thank you so much for joining us. I hope that you enjoy the episode. So we have built the foundation and now we go to the four walls. And so the four walls, the first of the four walls is definition. And um, this definition piece is, um, these are in order for a reason. Um, the definition piece is kind of like the, it's the starting, starting base for everything that we do in management. Um, if we don't have clear definition with the people that work with us, not, nothing else we talk about today will matter, okay? Um, In definition is where we're going to define roles and responsibilities. It's where we're going to define expectations. It's where we're going to define our accountability metrics, our key performance indicators. It's where we're going to open up our channels of communication. This is what definition is all about. If if you aren't sure if someone, if you don't think someone's doing their job properly, you've got to go back and think, have I clearly defined what their job is? Have I clearly defined what those expectations are? Because it all has to start with that definition. And here's the beauty of definition, is if you do it properly, you also can let people know what your pet peeves are, what your concerns are, what challenges you have, so they can help support you. So definition is not just simply about telling, it's about two-way communication. It's about open communication channels. You can be clear about the expectations that you have, because if you aren't clear with expectations, people will create their own expectations. It's part of our human nature, okay? If I don't know what the goal is, I'm gonna create my own goal. So one of the examples that I love to use on that 
I love to pick on salespeople um, because they're, they're annoying and easy to pick on. And so as we talk about salespeople, let's think about this. Let's think about an insurance producer. And so an insurance, insurance producer comes into his new brokerage and uh, he takes on this new position. And I, I should say, I've got to come up with a new illustration because I just realized as I'm saying this, I'm actually speaking to um, a room full of insurance producers tomorrow. So I'll have to think about that one before, before I do this tomorrow. But um, so let's talk about insurance producers, right? And we say, <laughs> yeah, yeah should have thought through that. Maybe I could have practiced it today. So, uh, so if a new insurance producer comes into his new job and uh, he says, uh, no one tells him what the goals are. No one tells him what the expectations are. So he just goes out and starts selling, right? Meeting everybody he knows, talking to everybody. Let me tell you about our, uh, our auto rates and our home rates. And he picks up 50 new clients this year. And everybody else, like all the other new producers, they only picked up like 40. He's killing it. He's doing an amazing job. 50 new clients in one year. No one else has done that. And he gets to the end of the year, and he sits down with his boss, and his boss says, well, I'm sorry, but your performance isn't there, and we're going to have to let you go. Wait a second. No, no, no. I, I did better than everybody. I had 50 new clients. Right, but we weren't worried about 50 new clients. We were looking for a million dollars worth of book of business. Well, so what happened is we just went in complete opposite directions. But if you don't provide clear expectations, people are going to create their own expectations. And so then what happens is you are sitting here saying, you know, I know what's expected of this job, and this is what it takes to do a good job. This is what I need you to do every day, but I forgot to tell you about it. Then this person over here is going to say, I don't really know exactly what I'm supposed to do, but it makes sense that I'm probably supposed to do one, two, and three, and yet you're saying, no, 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 I want A, B, and C done. And so through this definition piece, this is where we're going to outline those things. And, and what it does is it makes your job much, much easier because then all of your communication can relate back to these clear expectations that you have. And you can communicate things like, hey, I need you to know about who I am. So one thing that I do, I've done this for years and, and I just lucked into it really and I found that it worked and so I've continued to do it, is um, I wait till someone has been on my team for about two weeks. I give about two weeks of just trying to figure out who they are, let them figure out who I am. But again, thinking back, I want to be the manager that I want to have, right? And I'll tell you one thing that I hate is learning a new manager. I hate trying to figure out, like, what do they like? What do they not like? When can I talk to them? When can I not talk to them? What are their pet peeves? What are their concerns? I, I, I hate that. Like, I, I'm on eggshells. And so because of that, I made the decision years ago, I'm not going to put any else putting anyone else through that. So about two weeks in, I usually sit down and have some sort of conversation, whether it's over lunch or whether it's just sitting in my office or whatever it is, here's what you need to know about me. And I actually have this written on my phone. I actually have a list of about eight to 10 things that I know about me that you need to know about me. And I just go through those things. Like, hey, you need to know I'm not very creative. And so if you're looking for somebody that's gonna put you know, rainbows and unicorns all over the office, like that's just not me. I'm open to your creativity, but that's just not who I am. Um, you need to know that I love solving problems, but don't bring me a problem without a solution. That's a pet peeve of mine. Don't waste my time with a problem that doesn't have a solution, otherwise I'm gonna get really frustrated with you. And so I'm able to go through these things that you need to know about me, and, and I've created this clear, open channel of communication about who I am. So now I'm not trying to constantly train them to who I am, 
And they aren't having to walk on eggshells to figure out what they're going to have to deal with. You know, one of the other things for me is when I make a decision, I've pretty well made up my mind, but I'm open. I want to hear your opinions and thoughts. Just don't be offended if I say, I appreciate your opinion, but I've really thought through this and this is what we're going to do. And my expectation at that point is that you do it that way. And if it's wrong, that's my fault. And I'll take responsibility for that. But if I don't outline those expectations early on in the relationship that I have with my team, then we could go for months without them really knowing who I am, without bringing new ideas to me. They could, we could go for months where I'm saying, I'm so frustrated, they bring me problems all the time. And they think they're doing the right thing. I came across a problem, gotta take it to Kyle. And I'm getting frustrated saying, why are you bringing me problems? Bring me solutions. But I didn't outline that expectation. That's my fault, not theirs. And so it's in this definition piece that we open up these channels of communication and we can really help people understand this is what it's going to take to be successful in your role. And that is your responsibility as the manager to do. No one else's. Because only you know exactly what it takes to be responsible or to be successful in your area of responsibility. And if you do this properly, employees should never, ever, ever be surprised at review time whether it's a monthly review, quarterly, annual, whatever it is, if you execute this wall properly, no one's ever surprised. They know exactly where they stand. In fact, if you do this properly, no one will ever be surprised if they're being terminated. And I hate to say it, but part of the reality of the world that I live in is that I've had to terminate a lot of people. And I'm very proud to say that I've never had anyone surprised and in reality, most people leave on their own before we have to get to that point because they know that's what's happening. And that makes, that makes them happier, it makes me happier, it makes the team happier. Everything about that is positive. I can't do that without clear expectations. I can't do that without open communication and really defining what the role and responsibility of their area is. Yes, yeah. So. As we, as we start to walk through that, we're actually gonna go through creating those expectations in your individual area, yeah. So, so if you do this right, no one's ever surprised, which was probably gonna make Alex pretty happy, right, because she doesn't get complaints. It's gonna make you happy because it's gonna make your job so much easier when someone knows, I know I didn't meet the expectation. And so, another great segue. Let's look at our workbook here, okay? We're gonna go to page five. And we're going to spend a few moments in here on creating definition. And so the first thing we're going to do here on page five is we're going, to, we're going to take a focus first on our team and then we're going to kind of build on this, okay, step by step here. So the first thing I want you to think about is what makes your top performer stand out? What makes them stand out as a top performer? Um, now some of you may only have one or two people. Okay, so it's going to be a little bit harder. Um, but if you only have one or two people that are reporting to you, think about the attributes of, of those one or two that really are the things you say, you know, when, when we accomplish these things, we are being successful. They are being successful. But here's, <clears throat> here's the key to this. This is written on the top of every single page in the second half of this workbook. And that is this. These should be objective and measurable descriptions and not vague or open-ended. So as an example, submit dashboard reports by noon on Friday every week. That's very specific, it's very measurable. There's no question whether it's done and whether it's done properly. Verse, they create reports because that's very vague. And so if I tell someone on my team 
<clears throat> hey, I need to make sure that you're creating reports. You're really good at reports. I need reports created. And then they create something other than the dashboard report and they turn it in midweek sometime, whenever they get around to it, they think that they are doing exactly what I asked, create reports. But if I say very specifically, <clears throat> I really need that dashboard report for a meeting that I have on every Monday morning, if you could get me that dashboard report by Friday of every week, that would be great. I know it takes about two or three hours to put together. If you could take care of that report every week, that would be wonderful. And now there's no question whether they did it or not. Because if it's 1230 and that report isn't to you, they didn't. If they send you the wrong report, they didn't. If it's not sent to you till Monday, they didn't. And so it's very clear. So that's what we want to do here as we think through this. What makes your top performer stand out? Be very, very specific. As specific as you can, drill down. I know I've got five spaces there. It doesn't have to be five. Five is a lot, okay? So <clears throat> maybe it's two, three. Um, but think about some things that make your top performer really stand out. What makes you say in your mind and to other people, this is my top performer? So the next thing is, what makes your bottom performer stand out? And I want to be very clear as to why it's worded that way, okay? It's not because I'm, I'm good at being politically correct. It's because I hate, hate, hate the idea of a bad employee. I don't believe there is such a thing as a bad employee. I think there's a bad fit. Because employees are people, and if we say we have a bad employee, what we are saying is they as a person are inherently bad. And that is wrong. We don't have bad employees, we have bad fits. And maybe that's a fit to the organization, maybe that's a fit to a manager, maybe that's a fit to a department, maybe that's a, a bad fit to role and responsibility. But what we are looking at here is a bottom performer. Who would we say is our, our, uh, the, the least effective, efficient, successful performer that we have on our team? And what objective, measurable things can you outline that make them that? What are the things, in a, you know, to say, I just don't like the way they look at me on Tuesdays. That's not it, okay? That doesn't matter. Because why doesn't it matter? It's not about you. Because we're selfless, not selfish. So what is it about the way that they perform that makes them your bottom performer? What would your perfect team member look like and how would you define them to be successful? And that's really the, the key point of that question. How would you define the perfect team member? And I want to make sure we're clear, there is no such thing, okay? So we're talking pie in the sky. Ideally, if I could create the perfect team member, what is it about them that would make them perfect? What are the specific things that I would define that would make them perfect for my area of responsibility? And again, five things is a lot. So you know, think in terms of maybe two to four things. So we're going to... Flip to page six, still on this idea of creating definition. This is really where we're really going to get into the meat of this, okay? So those first three questions kind of get the mind thinking, get us kind of drilling down into what this means. And now what we're going to look at is what are the three to five weekly or monthly expectations that you can define to clarify your team's roles and responsibilities? And again, I want to remind you, we're going to be very specific. We want to drill down to some very specific things here. And the shorter the time frame, the better. So... What, when possible, we want to make this weekly, okay? Daily is sometimes a little too extreme to expect, depending on your area of responsibility. Now, there are certain departments, there are certain things when it kind of makes sense that you have to have these daily, like, 
one, two, three, four, five. If you do these five things, you're successful, okay? But monthly is a little too long to be able to measure that uh, effectively because you kind of get halfway through the month and things get stale. And so weekly is kind of the ideal, but again, it depends on your area of responsibility. Traditionally, the higher you are in the hierarchy of the organization, the longer the time frame is going to be, traditionally, okay? So um, the expectations of an executive vice president are often going to be monthly, quarterly, not daily, weekly. But again, this isn't always the case, so we're kind of going with some norms here. But what we want to do, these are the three to five things that we're going to take back with us and work on. So think about what are the three to five weekly or monthly expectations that you can define right here to help clarify the roles and responsibilities. And you want to think about your top performer and your perfect team member, okay? The reason we wrote out our bottom performer is because we need to be aware to make sure that we are thinking realistically and not thinking subjectively that I just don't like that person, but are there some true legitimate things that they are doing that they are not performing and being successful in their role? But as we define our expectations, it's not about not doing this, it is about I want people to do this. And we don't want them because you're not doing it and I don't like the fact that you're not doing it, it's I want you to because my top performer does this, because the perfect person on my team would do this. That's what we want to define here. So what are three to five things? What are three to five expectations? As you're writing, I'll tell you a quick story about this. Um, this is a huge part of onboarding, uh, bringing on a new employee, is making sure that we've outlined these things. And so uh, we had a client in our recruiting company uh, not that long ago, maybe a year and a half, two years ago. and. Um, he, he was having trouble with turnover very early on. And so he and I sat down, we were trying to figure out what was happening. And so I, um, uh, you know, I'd say, well, what was it about this person? And he would kind of talk about, well, they did well here, but they didn't do this, 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 and this, okay? So then this next person, what, what happened in this situation? Well, you know, they, they really hit the mark on these things that that person didn't, but there were these other things that they had trouble with. And so <clears throat> I said, um, I said, well, let's do this. Write out like four to five things. And in his, his company, this particular uh, position was really daily goals. And I said, um, I said, write out the four or five things that, um, that if they could do this, you would say, you know what, we're hitting the mark. Now, I'm not saying we're A plus, I'm saying we're C, and C passes, right? Give me the, the four or five things. And he spouted them off, boom, 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 boom. This is what they need to do. And for him, the first one was as simple as, they need to be there on time because he had issues with that. And, and the way his organization worked, he was not there. Um, oftentimes, he was on the road, he was traveling a lot. And so it was as simple as like, be on time. And that was his very first one. And then he kind of went through, and they were all very simple. But he had never outlined them for these new employees that were coming in. And so people were, kind of, quote, missing the mark, but they didn't know what the mark was. And so they were working their tail off, but really, they aren't being successful. And so sometimes it's, it's very simple things that make the difference between someone's success and someone's failure. So as we take a look at this next piece, how will you communicate these clearly defined expectations to your team? Well, so on this next piece here where we talk about communicating clearly, then we need to figure out how are we gonna take that information to the team? You can't assume they already know, especially if they aren't meeting the expectation. 
Okay, so we can't assume they already know. We've got to be able to take that to them. But we need to communicate it in a very clear, concise way that they understand. And so this is where we're going to think through that. So what we've done here is, is these are not hypotheticals, okay? That top question on page six, those are things that we want to take back when we leave here today, and we want to start implementing and incorporating with our team. This next piece is how we figure out what the first step of that is. How are we going to define that? Okay, maybe you have a, a morning powwow with, with your team. Maybe you have a weekly meeting. Um, maybe because of shifts, you don't get to see your team, so you have to communicate through email. Figure out what that communication strategy is going to be to clearly and kindly communicate what those expectations are going to be. Maybe it's one-on-one. -on -one. Maybe you get one-on-one -on -one time with your team members. That's great if you do. And if you have time and you don't do it now, I encourage you to implement that immediately. But, but figure out right here, how am I going to communicate this in a way that doesn't come across as, ah, the boss just got some new ideas and now we're putting these on everybody. And that doesn't come across as, well, they got mad because, you know, Susie didn't get that job done, and so now we all have to do this differently. How are we going to give this across to say, you know, what's the why behind this? Why are we going to do this? You know, this is something that, that enhances the lives of the, of the clients that we serve. Um, this is something that is an expectation from, um, uh, from the executive level of the organization, and that, and that we need to try to encourage this in our area of responsibility. How are you going to present this information to your team in a very positive manner, and that's what we're looking at here. And so now the last question we're going to look at here is, what recognition strategies will you use to provide positive reinforcement and recalibration of these expectations? And we're going to really dive in, because the fourth wall is on recognition. We're really going to dive into this in a little while. But just think fairly high level at this point. What are you going to do to recognize this? What are you going to do to put those accountability factors in place? Um, to say, I've outlined the expectation, I've communicated to you what the expectation is, and now I want to make sure that I'm providing positive, providing positive reinforcement and that we're constantly recalibrating. And that's the beauty of good definition, is that as you continue, as that becomes kind of normal language in your area of responsibility, now you're constantly recalibrating. You're reminding people this is a priority. This is a priority. These are the expectations. These are the expectations. And so it keeps people on the same page because remember, as we talked about earlier, if you don't create expectations, they will create their own. And so you want to make sure that they're constantly falling back to the expectations that you've created. So, so what kind of strategies or recognition strategies might you be able to put in place just to help provide that reinforcement and constantly recalibrate? The next wall is autonomy. So we go through definition, we've defined the expectations, um, people know and understand what their role and responsibility and kind of why we do things, how we do things. And the next thing we have to do is provide autonomy. We have to give them the freedom to branch out. We need to let them go. So quick survey, show of hands, who loves to be micromanaged? I'll give you time, in case you need to think about it. Nobody? <laughs> That's right. So, if you don't like to be micromanaged, what would ever make you think that someone on your team would want to be micromanaged? And yet, one of the most common complaints we hear from team members across all organizations, all industries, about their manager is micromanagement. I have yet to have anyone ever raise their hand on that question because no one likes to be micromanaged. And that's what this is all about. It's providing autonomy. It's letting people go. It's giving them the freedom to succeed. And here's the beauty. If they succeed, 
Who does that look good on? You. So, so what we've got to do is we want to give people the opportunity to succeed, okay? We want them to spread their wings and fly. But, but just as you said, here's the other thing. You want to give people the freedom to fail. Because it is through that that lessons are learned and that's where people build, okay? Give people the opportunity to make mistakes. This is my favorite. I came up with this on my own and I love it. And, and I even, one of the few times I ever, you know, again, kind of threw something on social media. Mistakes are the bridges between failure and success. Mistakes are the bridges between failure and success. Without mistakes, you will not succeed. It's, it's through these mistakes, it's fallen flat on our face that we say, lesson learned. I know what to do different next time, I know what I did wrong. And when someone on your team makes the mistake, that is not the time to say, I told you so. That's the time to pick them up and encourage them and say, you know what, I made a mistake like that one time, and this is how I overcame it. You know what, a lot of people make that mistake when they first start. That's pretty common, and it's no big deal. You know what I like about that is this. Let me tell you something positive that happened in that experience. That's the time to encourage them. They know they made a mistake. They know. They don't need you to remind them. What they need is help and support at that time. So you need to take that opportunity to Put a hand down and help them up. So I had, um, when I was still in college, um, one of the greatest illustrations of management I have is a gentleman by the name of Richard Wiggins. And um, he lives in the uh, um, far corners of western Kentucky. And while I was in college, uh, he was my manager. And he is really proof today that you don't have to be um, uh, you don't have to be the CEO of an organization to be a great manager. Um, at the time, he was the manager of a lumber department in a, in a uh, retail establishment, okay? And um, first boss I had at that company. I learned more from him in the time that I worked there. He was 50 years old at the time. And I learned more from him about management and about all of the principles that I use today than I have any other manager that I've ever had in any company that I've ever worked for. And to this day, he got out of management. He, he didn't enjoy it. He didn't want to be responsible for other people. He got out of management. He was only in management about five years from like 40, I guess maybe about 47 years old to about 52 years old. One of the greatest managers that I've ever had. And um, I started that job. I was there less than a month. And one of the things we had at this place was, um, was five-gallon buckets, okay? So if you don't know, like it's about that big around and about yay tall, of deck stain. So imagine paint. Dexting, and we had pallets of it. And um, so I'd been there less than a month. I'm on a forklift. He's helping me, and I'm gonna I'm putting this pallet in between these steel beams that we're gonna set down so customers can come and take their five-gallon bucket. And while we're in the middle of this, I'm on the forklift. He gets a phone call, and he says, uh, "Hang on, Gorman," because he never called anybody by his first name. So, "Hang on, Gorman. I'll be right back." Okay. So I'm sitting there on the forklift. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting, and I'm like, man, this, this isn't that hard, right? I mean, I just put the pallet right here. Like, I know where I'm going. Should be easy. No big deal. So as you can imagine, this story didn't end well. Um, I go ahead, and I, I try to move the pallet, and whenever I do, the corner of the pallet hits a 4 by 4 steel beam, and there was deck stain everywhere. I don't know how much money I lost to the company that day. It was, it was a lot. Um, and... 
I mean, no sooner that it happened, I hear him coming down the aisle, coming to greet me. And I knew what was going to happen. I mean, I'd been there less than a month. I'm getting fired. There's no question in my mind. I am terminated right now. Like, good job while it lasted. Goodbye, Mr. Gorman. And so he comes around the corner, and he stops, and he looks, and I'm expecting him to explode. And he says, Gorman, that's what I like about you. You don't want to sit around. You want to get stuff done. And you talk about a relief. And I have never felt more, I, 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 I've never felt more connected to a manager than at that moment right there. I've, I've, I've never been more satisfied in my job. And I've never felt like someone has my back the way that he did at that moment. Because he had every right and all authority to terminate me on the spot for what I just did. I was told not to. I was told not to move. I did. Lost a ton of money. Did a lot of damage. And it's, I knew I made a mistake. And instead of reprimanding me, he said, this is what I found positive in this experience. You like to get things done. Now let's get this cleaned up. Okay, that's great. Let's get this cleaned up. And so <clears throat> that is part of this process. That's part of this autonomy is we want to allow people to fail. Now here's where I caution you. Um, you have to know where the areas are that you can allow people to fail and where the areas are that you say failure is not an option, okay? So as I'd said, I like to use the illustration of kids. I have three kids of my own. I have a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a five-and-a-half-month-old that refuses to sleep. And so um, what I learned with, with especially the, the two bigger ones is that um, you know, there are things that I'm going to tell them not to do, don't do, don't do, don't do, and eventually kind of have to just let them do it. So my son is all boy, and uh, whenever he was little, you know, say three years old, he constantly running in the house. You know, he'd have a ball, and he's running in the house, and he's throwing the ball, and he's picking it up, and he's throwing it, and he's running. And this was a, a nonstop cycle of uh, tornado-like activity in my house. And <clears throat> I, being the good parent, would say, Lucas, stop running. Lucas, stop running. Don't run in the house. Don't run in the house. You're going to fall. You're going to hurt yourself. Don't run in the house. Don't run in the house. And eventually, parent of the year says, forget it. Let the kid fall. And he's going to fall. And he's going to bump his knee up and maybe, you know, worst case scenario, get a little bloody nose, right? Fortunately, that, that didn't happen with him. But he's going to bump his knee up and he's going to cry a little bit. And I'm going to say, that's why, that's why I don't want you to fall. That's why I don't want you to run in the house. Okay? I don't want you to get hurt. But he's got to learn that lesson on his own. That's part of him uh, maturing and understanding. He's got to learn that lesson on his own. And so that is up to me as a parent to kind of allow him that freedom to mess up, allow him that freedom to fail. But so, but so here's where that line is drawn. Um, I like to cook breakfast on Sunday mornings for the family. And so when I'm at the stove and I'm cooking breakfast and my daughter, who's seven years old, you know, again, three or four, like she loved to help. My son, not so much. My daughter loves to help. And so she wants to come in the kitchen and she pulls the chair up next to the stove and she wants to get up there and see what's going on. Don't touch the stove, Lydia. Don't touch the stove. The stove is hot. Don't touch the stove. I can't let her learn that lesson on her own. I, I can't do that. That would be neglect. If I said, you know what? You keep wanting to touch the stove, touch the dang stove and see what happens. That's not her fault. That's my fault. Because I've got to know where that line is. I've got to know where my area of responsibility is and where success and failure can't be learned the hard way. Okay? I have to slap the hand and say, don't touch the stove. And you have to do the same thing as managers. You've got to know in your area of responsibility, what is running in the house and what is touching the stove? Where do I have to say no? We cannot allow that. We can't do that. The price is too high. The risk is too high. And where can I say, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to give you the freedom to go. 
And if you fall on your face, that's fine. I'll be right there to say, it's okay. Let me help you up. That's why we don't do it that way. That's why we do it this way. And it's okay. Lesson learned. And so it's going to be your responsibility as a manager to be able to do that and to understand what that looks like and where those areas are um, in your department. What forms of autonomy do you appreciate from your supervisor? So you're going to think about yourself for a second. What kind of freedoms do you appreciate? What kind of freedoms do you like? Okay. And I'll give you some examples. Maybe you like the freedom that... Um, Maybe you like the freedom knowing that, uh, that your boss isn't always looking over your shoulder, that they give you direction and they let you go. Um, maybe you're, and I don't know exactly how the, the structure at Wendell Foster works along this, but maybe in your area of responsibility, like it's not a big deal to leave at like 10 till because you need to go get to your kid's ball game. Maybe, that, maybe that's something in your area that you appreciate is, you know what, my boss knows that family is really important to me and they know that you know, when my daughter has a dance recital, like, I really need to get out about 10 minutes early so I can make it there on time. You know, and those little things make a big difference. Those little things can make a huge difference to say they care about me because my manager is selfless and not selfish. I mean, I would do anything for him at that point. Yeah, and to this day, I still would do anything for Wiggins. I mean, if he called me right now and said, I need something, I am there. Now, we created a great bond and friendship over the years after that, but that really, that was a moment that stood in my, my mind. And let me tell you what, Richard Wiggins was not studying management, okay? That's not the world he came from. It was just, it was just natural for him. But he knew, man, I don't need to reprimand this kid. And that, there's, I was a kid, like, there's no doubt about it, okay? I, I still am most of the time. Ask my wife. And so... He knew, like, I don't need to tell him what he did wrong, okay? But, yeah, there, there's a loyalty that gets created there. And it's the same thing. Whenever we provide this type of autonomy, there's a loyal, loyalty that gets created there. So how do, you, how do you appreciate autonomy from your supervisor? What are the areas that you kind of appreciate and know this is what means something to me? And then the next thing we want to look at is, <clears throat> you know, we want to try to stay positive here. So we're not doing everything wrong. If we were, you probably wouldn't be in the role that you are. So... What are some ways that you currently provide autonomy to your team? You know, there's a, there's a belief, and I believe this as well, I believe it wholeheartedly, that you should never ask someone to do something that you yourself are not willing to do. But what happens is oftentimes managers take that too far, and so they say, well, I've delegated this to someone, and so, hey, I need you to go uh, file this information for me, and now I'm going to come over here and file it with you. Well, what, what you think you're communicating is, I'm willing to do it too. And what you're really communicating is, I don't trust you to do this. And so we've got to be really careful. We've got to be able to provide that autonomy. Like, I've instructed to do this. You don't need me. Okay? And it's okay for me to let you go. And so those are some things that maybe you currently are providing autonomy to your team that you can think through and think about. What are some things that you think your team already appreciates that you provide some freedoms? And then the next thing we're going to talk about here is, um, is kind of the next step of that and how can we provide greater autonomy. You know, think about things that you're doing right now with your team or that you have done in the past that maybe kind of pigeonhole them or, or um, uh, kind of hold you back from providing some additional freedoms to your team. What are some things that, um, that you're doing that you could let go of and provide some greater autonomy, give people freedom to succeed, give people freedom to fail? Where are some areas that maybe you're holding hands a little too tight and you're not letting them, um, you know, you're not letting people go? So think through two or three things there that you can do with your team to provide even greater autonomy. 
And then those last two questions, and, I, and again, I'm not rushing us here, but um, I'll give you a couple minutes to write after I get done, but these last two questions, <clears throat> um, an example in your area of responsibility that would be running in the house, and what would be an example of touching the hot stove? What's something that you can give that freedom and flexibility that you can allow people to fail? And what's just one or two things that you say, you know, I've got to be a part of this. Um, I'll give you an example in my world. <clears throat> For quite some time, in fact, really up until about a year ago, I reviewed our payroll every single week. We pay every other week. I always reviewed our payroll. That was touching the hot stove for me. That can't get screwed up. We cannot mess this up. So um, I know the person that processed the payroll would get frustrated because they felt like I was micromanaging, but I had to help them understand I I'm not trying to micromanage but an extra set of eyes is a positive thing with the organization because we have people's livelihood at stake here. And so that was a non-negotiable for me. Like no matter, how much, no matter how much he did not want me to look at this, I was going to review payroll before it got processed. That was touching the hot stove in my area of responsibility. Now, <clears throat> what's happened in our organization since is as we've continued to grow, now I have another layer in the organization, and, and we gradually incorporated that into her role of responsibility. So now I still have two sets of eyes on it. It's just not my set of eyes. Someone else is reviewing that because it's still touching the hot stove for me. I want it to be reviewed. I don't want to take a chance. But now there are other people in the organization that we were able to delegate that to. And, but then the beauty of it is once this other person's there and I say, you know, it probably makes sense for you as my director of finance to be the one that's reviewing this. And so <clears throat> I'm going to show you what I look at and what I look for, and now I I'm done. Hands off. I don't touch it. I haven't touched it in a year because I've given you the freedom to do that. And so what was once touching the hot stove has become something now I can back off and say, okay, I, I know we've got a process in place. We have a procedure in place. I trust the people to do this. I'm going to let them do that. Because my goal was not that I saw it. My goal was that it was reviewed. And so if I am still meeting my goal, it doesn't have to be through me. My goal is to make sure that two sets of eyes review that every time. So that's just an example in my world of what would be touching the hot stove for something that would be, um, you know, where I might tell someone, well, hey, why don't you call that client and get this information from them? And now I'm just going to let them go. Like, I know how I would say it. I know how I would do it. But it doesn't matter. My way is not necessarily the right way. It's just my way. And so I'm going to let them go. I'm going to let them try that. I'm going to let them try their own. And then come back and say... I might have messed that one up, Kyle, because whenever I called, they said this, and I think they were kind of frustrated about that. Okay, well, let's talk through that. And so that, that's where I'm going to allow people to run in the house. Like, go try this on your own, and let's see what happens. Thank you for checking out today's Business Playmaker. Links to the resources discussed in today's episode are available in the show notes. For more information and resources from your host, you can visit him at www.kylegorman.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast for the latest episodes. And until next time, make it a great day.